0: Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the chance to be with these families, to have the sacrament of baptism, and now to go into your word. Lord, please open our hearts and our minds that we might be encouraged and equipped in all areas of life to live kingdom first every day of every week of every year to the honor and glory of your name. Amen. Please be seated. There's a young farming boy who was taking his wagon to the market, and the wagon tipped over. Older farmer happened to be near, very friendly. He said, do you need some help? The boy said, yes, I've got to get going. My pa is very impatient. The man said, well, I understand, but this is a lot of work to lift this wagon up. So, why don't you come? My farm is right there. Let's grab a quick lunch. We'll get strengthened up and I'll come help you with this wagon. And the boy said, But my pa is very impatient. And the man said, Let's just go have lunch. And he said, All right, my pa also taught me to be polite. So he went with him. They had a quick lunch. The boy said, We must go now, lift that wagon up and get it going because my pa is very impatient. And the man said, All right, all right, we'll do that. Let's go. He said, Where is your pa? He is under the wagon. patience. This morning, we're going to talk about patience. I don't know about you, but this is a challenging topic for me. See, this is me. I am driving along in my car. I am humming a beautiful song to the Lord Jesus Christ, and then somebody slows down in front of me And I go from, Jesus, I love you. What are you doing? (laughs) And like that quick, you know, it's amazing how quickly it comes up. And I'm like, patience. Today we're going to talk about patience. Open up your Bible, if you would, to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. We've come a long way in this book. We are almost done. Last week, we talked about pride. And I think what James does as he moves into this next chapter is he keeps this going, but he does something that he does nowhere else in the book. All the way through this book, he is talking to churches. He's talking to believers. He's talking about people who are in the church. This is the first time where he says something that this is very likely not to people in the church, to non-believers. And here's what I think is happening. He started this book by talking about trials. You know all the way through, he keeps coming back to themes, to ideas that he's been talking about. He's coming to the end now. He's been talking about pride, and it's as if there's a connection between pride And the trials that he talked about in the beginning, and he's going to take a different view, a different angle on these trials. So here's what he does. Chapter 5, verse 1. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Now, we've seen all the way through the book that James is not shy about his language. You know, you adulterous people. I mean, he really just lays into them. This is one instance where, again, I and just about every scholar I've read really don't believe that this is to the church, as if nobody in the church could possibly have money. If you have money, you're going to hell. That is not what James is getting at here. However, there is a way of abusing power, especially when your riches have given you that power, and that's what he seems to be talking about here. Keep going. Your riches have rotted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Right. So one is just the way in which the rich has kept everything for themselves. They've been selfish with it, they've ignored other people, And that will speak against them because the riches in the end cannot save them. We all know your riches don't go with you. However, it's not just that they've hoarded. It's also, verse 4, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. That last part is really important. He's been the richer hoarding things and they're defrauding people as if you don't have have enough money. Somebody's out there mowing your lawn and you defraud them to hold on to even that little bit. But the people that are being abused, their cries have gone to the Lord Almighty. That part's really significant for what James is doing. Verse five, you've lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Really, he can't. That's part of the point of this. If you take the historical context, when you don't have money in the first century, you are at the behest of those that do. The rich control things. And you don't make yourself go up. You don't start lower class, become middle class, become upper class. So many of them were slaves. They were trapped on the land that they were working. You can't get out of it. So here is the rich. And again, I would argue, not part of the church, but the people being abused are. That part of what was happening in chapter one with their trials is the regular abuse they were receiving by those who were over them. But their cries are going up to the Lord. Now, have you ever felt abused? Has somebody in power ever used that power against you? Maybe it was at a job. Have you ever been bullied? There's so many ways that people who have more power than us use that power against us. I was dropping my child off at school last week and I have two in the back seat. They only open one door so both of them have to get out. Well, as my second child is getting out, they close the door on him. I mean, just like close it. His leg is out and everything. Now, thankfully, it was a kid closing the door because they use the older students to do it, but like just closed him in the door. They're like, stop, stop. Let my kid out of the car. That's what I feel like has happened. The door keeps getting closed. People keep using their power to just slam doors on me. And honestly, my child couldn't really do much about that. I mean, he's five years old. I'm not even sure the kid who closed the door saw over the window to see he was there. But it's not like he had the strength to necessarily push back. There are times when we are abused and there isn't a lot we can do about it. So how should we react? And now here's where James pulls in patience. Verse seven, be patient. All right, I stopped right there at that comma. And here's why I stopped. One of the hardest things we do in life is suffer. I would argue one of the other hardest things that we have to do is patience. Any of you feel like you're just naturally a patient person? How many of you feel like you have the spiritual gift of impatience? Uh, Yeah. And so here's James, like, I want to take suffering and patience, and I want to combine them. Really, James? Like, of all the things... I, the other thing that it brought to mind is we're coming up on Thanksgiving and my wife makes a pie cake. It's where she takes and makes a pecan pie and shoves it inside a chocolate cake and then bakes the chocolate cake. It's amazing. I feel like James just made like a suffering pie and he shoved it inside of a patient's cake and he said, here, take them both. There's gotta be another way. Because here's my responses to suffering. I got all kinds of them. My response is to being abused. I get angry sometimes. Get bitter sometimes. Sometimes I self-blame. Do you ever get abused and then start thinking maybe it must be me? Like I must have done something wrong? Or how about this thought? Maybe God is punishing me because I've done something wrong? I mean. There's lots of apathy. Let me just give up. James says, here's the response. Be patient. And my question is, do you actually mean that? This has got to be another Greek word, right? has to have some other Greek meaning or something. He can't just mean patient. So he gives this example. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Remember, their cries went up and he heard them. Now we're talking about the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Yeah, the Greek cannot help us. The word means exactly what you think it means. Be patient. When you are suffering, especially under somebody else, James says be patient. All right, why is patience so hard? You actually have something to blame. You have something to put the blame onto your amygdala. You get to blame your amygdala. That gray mass in your head that is responsible for sussing out emotions. Do you know that your fight or flight response is hardwired into you so that when danger comes up, there's an automatic response. You get that increased blood pressure, heart rate, you're ready to act. And that's really important. So just imagine for a moment, I've got my family and they're all behind me and a saber-toothed tiger is coming after them. I need that. I need to fight for my family and protect them. Here's the problem. According to neuroscience, your amygdala doesn't know the difference between the saber toothed tiger and the guy who's slowed down in front of you on the road. It can't figure those things out. It can't interpret them. Do you know why we get so impatient? It's our fight or flight response. And we're fighting. Think about your emotion when you get impatient. What's happening? Your heartbeat's going up, you're getting aggressive, and you're ready to go after somebody, right? Here's the advantage. Here's the thing that has also been studied. You can learn patience. You can grow in that area. You don't have to be the slave to the current condition of your amygdala. Your amygdala is dumb. You can train it. I just wanted to say that because I've never said it in a sermon before. I might even name the sermon something like dumb amygdala just to get people to listen to it. You can train it. Here is the basic training that was shown to actually have impact. It is this simple. And then we're going to get back into the text because here's the exciting, cool thing to me. I think James might have been a neuroscientist because the very process that was given is basically what James does to show us how to be patient. Here's the process. We have to break or interrupt the cycle of impatience. And you do it like this. Number one, you have to evaluate the actual threat because that's part of the problem. The saber-through tiger is a threat. The guy who slowed down in front of me, I mean, unless he's, you know, slammed on his brakes or is doing 15 and a 60, he's not really a threat. Typically, what it is is he's going 45 and a 45, and I want to go 60. That's usually what's happening. It's not an actual threat. So first is to evaluate the real threat. The second is to reframe what you are going through in light of reality. Let's just say I am behind somebody who's a little slower than me. Number one, I'm not actually in danger. Yes, I might be a minute or two later than I would have been if I could speed where I want to speed. But outside of that, that's it. And what's interesting is it talked, this one article coming out of this research was A mantra can actually make a difference and help us reframe. Just saying to yourself, I will actually get where I need to be. I will actually get where I need to be. Like, this person is not stopping that. Because we have to retrain part of ourselves that needs the training. And then finally, to put it into a larger context. I not only will get where I need to be, but I will get there in plenty of time to get what needs to be done. Ultimately, it's this larger thing I'm doing, and this is not going to ruin that. I can't tell you, tell me if you agree, I can't rehearse for you most of the times I've been impatient in my life. The things I got frustrated about, I don't even remember them. Because they weren't really that important. My amygdala thought they were important. But they weren't really that important. So, interrupt the cycle by evaluating the actual threat, reframing it in that reality, and then practicing doing that reframing. All right, here's what James does. Sorry, I know it was a long little introduction there, but I was just so fascinated whenever I see the Bible teaching something that 2,000 years later, we're discovering through doing research. Here's what James says. You also be patient, verse eight, establish your hearts, For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now, a brief comment on that. He has already evaluated the actual threat. One of the things about our suffering that doesn't allow us to move forward, especially if somebody else is causing it, what are we concerned with? They won't get what comes to them. They won't stop if I don't do something about it. We're very concerned about the person who's causing the abuse. Well, James has already evaluated the threat by saying God will take care of that. Nobody is getting away with any of that. There will not be a single person on planet earth, alive or dead, who gets away with their sin. Every single person will be judged either by the blood of Christ, or by their own. But nobody's getting away with anything. And this is why later on, Well, let me read for a moment and then we'll come back to the established part. Um, Verse eight, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. We are not the judge. We shouldn't try to be the judge. Part of our reframing is letting him be the judge. Because at the end, he will judge everything rightly, perfectly, justly. And nobody escapes that. You never have to hold the burden of feeling like if you don't make it right, it will never be made right. He will make it right. And he says, as part of your reframing, as an example of suffering and patience, there it is together. Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've also heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. It says, look, when you feel that suffering, when somebody's coming after you, yes, if you want to get angry, if you want to give in to your amygdala, I lost the word for a moment there, yeah, you could do that, but it's not going to do you any good. What you're called to is to be patient by recognizing that number one, the person abusing you, they will be judged. And they're not gonna get away with that. Number two, God is that judge and we are called to trust him and to recognize that people before us have trusted him and they have seen his mercy and his grace, his compassion. They've seen it as they've trusted him. We have the examples to know that it actually works. But what we have to do is establish our hearts. What does that mean? To establish something means to strengthen or to settle into. Here's the idea. Our hearts have to embrace so much that God is the judge That God is taking care of all things. That God is the one who is merciful and compassionate. And when I am patient in him, I can see his mercy. I can see his compassion. But that has to be so much embraced in our hearts that that is where we react from. So if we had a mantra, it might be something like, just imagine, again, I want to give an example that is true of me. It may be true of you. When I am standing in line to pay for something, number one, I always choose the wrong line. And I'm the only one who ever does that. Always choose the wrong line. And then, not only am I in the wrong line, but in my line, the person who's checking out, suddenly the credit card doesn't work. And then somebody's called over, and then that's not working. And I'm watching people go on the other lines I could have chosen. And it's just, oh, there goes the amygdala. Just gone. Like, all right, so here's the reframing if I'm establishing my heart. God, you are in control. And I may have to say it over and over again because I know what my reaction is going to be. God, you are in control. And God, you have a bigger plan for me. And honestly, part of that bigger plan right now, it might just be I take these few extra moments because that's all it's gonna be. I know it feels like an hour, but it's like two minutes, three minutes. And you know what I'm gonna do? I'm going to give thanks that these people actually got to go through in a hurry, the lane I wish I would have gotten in. I'm gonna pray for my family. I'm gonna pray for the church. I'm gonna pray for a friend I know who's going through something. Maybe I'm gonna look around and I'm gonna see if the person in front of me maybe it looks like they're hurting or depressed. I'm gonna do something with that time that is part of the larger picture of God using me in his kingdom. I can reframe that moment because the reality is the earth is not gonna stop rotating around the sun because I was a few minutes behind and didn't get up to the cashier in time. My life won't end. And I have a bigger purpose in my life. I can reframe it. We have to establish our hearts. And that takes time. That takes, honestly, it takes some repetition. We gotta keep reminding ourselves, God is in control. God is actually the judge, not me. God is merciful. People have had patience in suffering since at least the time of the prophets. We've seen it happening. And God has come through for them. God will come through for me. I can hold on to this as I go through what I'm going through. And we wanna get it to the point where that is our natural reaction in all kinds of areas. Like I have a lot of work to do. I gotta do it in the line. I gotta do it when I'm looking for a parking spot. I gotta do it when I'm driving on the road. I gotta do it when I'm talking to my kids. I'm talking to my wife. I mean, I got a lot of work to do. But you actually can become more patient. I read a beautiful story about sam kendricks he's a pole vaulter he is considered now one of the top 10 pole vaulters in the world and he is actually changing the sport because he's doing something that nobody else was doing he is befriending all the other pole vaulters and i don't mean just befriending he's like encouraging them and coaching them even when they're against him And there's interviews of some of these guys that are blown away by his attitude because it's so unusual. There's pictures of him hugging the other pole vaulters like when they're beating him. I mean, he just, his attitude is very different. And it's changing the attitude of these, especially these elite top 10 or so pole vaulters in the world. And he's won numerous things over the last two years. But that heart in him is something that seems to just be natural and it came from something that was witnessed in 2016 when he was qualifying for the pole vault. In the middle of a qualifying run, the national anthem went off. And as he's running with his pole, the national anthem goes off, he stops, drops the pole and stands at attention for the national anthem. And what's so incredible about the video and the story is it was clearly for him a natural reaction. That wasn't like he had to like, oh wait, is that, I mean like he's in the middle of actually running toward, he's gonna do this and he's gonna jump over it. He just stops. And stands at attention for the anthem. He has established his heart to what it means to be an American, to what it means to serve. And he's a military guy. He's established his heart. That's the kind of thing that can be learned, that can be developed in us. But for us, it's to establish that the Lord is the Lord, that the Lord is in control in all ways, in all situations, so that our amygdala does not win, Jesus does. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to have the patience that James calls us to in the midst of our suffering. Lord, we know that so many of us struggle with impatience, especially when we're under distress, especially when we're feeling attacked. This can be the hardest times for us, Lord. God, help us to break the cycle of impatience. To establish our hearts in you so that we can have a patience by the power of the Holy Spirit that goes beyond anything we could do naturally. Teach us. In the name of Jesus, amen.